Well, I'm thinking of an event that took place in Jerusalem during the Passover, and it began with a ruler condemning someone because it pleased the Jewish leadership. During this time of struggle, someone was arrested. Extra guards were provided because he was a special individual. Special precautions were taken, but an angel or more angels intervened and rendered the guards helpless and opened the way for his escape early on a Sunday morning. Once out, he appeared to a woman who had a hard time convincing others he was really there. And when they finally believed it, he told them to go tell others. And he left for another place. When his disappearance was later discovered, it created no small disturbance among the soldiers and authorities. Okay, kids, what story am I talking about? What am I thinking about this morning? Who said Peter? You're too smart. <laughs> All right, adults, give me a wrong answer. <laughs> well, if it wasn't for our brainy kids, we probably would have been thinking of Jesus because the, the surrounding events sounds like that. But that's not what we're talking about this morning, as Amelia has pointed out to us. The account that I'm thinking about and the one we're going to look at this morning took place in Jerusalem approximately 10 years after the resurrection. Now, by this time, Antioch was becoming an important center of Christian activity, being the first church to actively pursue Gentiles. And in the 13th chapter of Acts, we'll discover it's the church that sends out the Apostle Paul on his great missionary journey. But the 12th chapter takes us back to Jerusalem for a look at what was happening there. And there we find apostles were persecuted, angels were active, believers were amazed, and unbelievers were disturbed. Well, we're going to cover the entire 12th chapter of Acts this morning, so let's get to it. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door, we're watching over the prison. Now, until this time, it had been the religious authorities who were persecuting the church. But here, Herod enters the picture. And this is Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, who ruled Jerusalem when Jesus was born and who slaughtered 
the babies in Bethlehem. And he's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist and sat in judgment over Jesus. So he comes from a long line of tyrants. And as the appointed ruler of Judea and Samaria, it was to his advantage to keep the Jewish authorities happy. And he discovered that it pleased them immensely to persecute the church, which, with the addition of Gentiles into its ranks, was becoming increasingly viewed as a religion in its own right and not merely a sect of Judaism. Now, why he targeted James, we're not told. In fact, nothing is said of his ministry in the book of Acts. But he must have been an effective evangelist because he was viewed as a threat to the Jews and to civil order. And so Herod had him killed with a sword, most likely beheaded. A punishment reserved for the worst of the worst, for murderers and apostates, according to Jewish history. Well, this James is the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder. And his mother is the one who came to Jesus with a request that her sons be given seats of honor in his kingdom. When Jesus asked if they would be able to drink the cup he was about to drink, they said yes, and they did. James, being the first apostle to die for the faith. And his death is, in fact, the only death of an apostle recorded in Scripture. And the record of his death is only seven words long in the Greek. Apparently, Luke and other writers of the New Testament didn't see the need to eulogize martyrs. Their deaths weren't viewed as tragic, merely as passage to the eternal ward. Anyway, when Herod saw how much it pleased the Jews to kill an apostle, he had Peter arrested. And he did so during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the seven days following the Passover, when Jerusalem was filled with Jewish pilgrims whose favor he was currying by the arrest. And it was apparently his intent to have Peter executed after the holiday. It wouldn't be kosher to kill someone on a holy day. So he put him in prison, arranged for four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now, why so many guards? No doubt it was because the Jewish authorities had told him how the apostles had all mysteriously escaped from prison the last time they were arrested. So Peter was securely locked away, chained to guards. But the church was praying for him. Now what they were praying, we're not told. Most assume it was for Peter's release. Some even suggest that the reason James was killed was that no one was praying for his release. But I doubt that. I doubt that. I don't believe God's hands are tied by the lack of prayer on the part of the church. Now, he invites us to participate in what he's doing through prayer, and our prayers do make a difference. He listens, and sometimes he even changes his mind when God's people come before his throne seeking special measures of grace. 
But to suggest that James was beheaded because the church wasn't praying goes just too far. You know, why God does what he does and allows what he allows, we are seldom told. He is a sovereign God. He does what he chooses to do. And whether we understand it or not, his will is good. And we know because of the cross that his will is motivated by his love for us. Anyway, the church was praying fervently when Peter was imprisoned. But as I said, we really really don't know what they were praying for. And as we'll soon see, they did not expect him to be released, so they may not have been praying for his release. Maybe they were just praying that he would be strong and that his witness for Christ be true. Whatever the case, the church was praying for Peter. And he doesn't seem to be too worried. The night before he was to be taken before the Jews, expecting the same fate as James, no doubt, he was sleeping. His faith in Christ gave him confidence to face the morning, no matter what night he might be going through. He was ready to die for the faith, and he would someday, but not that day. Because God had other plans for him. And angels were active. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. And follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all of the Jewish people who expected it. In the middle of the night, while Peter was sleeping, chained to two guards, an angel appeared in the cell and a light shone. Now, some have suggested that this was in reality nothing more than a lightning strike. But you can imagine what would have happened to Peter if lightning had struck, especially with chains on his wrists. Now, this, this was an angel, and Peter was sleeping soundly. The angel had to poke him to wake him up. And when he woke up, the chains fell off his hands. Now, I don't know. Whether the guards slept through all this or were put into a stupor, but Peter was now half awake, standing there rubbing his eyes, not knowing what to think or what to do. So the angel told him to get dressed because when they slept, they took off their outer cloak, they loosened the belt around their waist and took off their sandals. And the angel, almost sounding like a mother getting a child ready to go outside, told him to tighten his belt put on his sandals, wrap his coat around himself, and follow him. Peter started walking. 
not knowing if this was for real or just a dream. And they walked right by two guards standing at attention. When they got to the gate, presto, the iron gate opened for them by itself, and they were able to walk out into the street. They walked about a block, and poof, the angel was gone. Only then did Peter really realize what had happened. He was out of prison. God had sent an angel to rescue him again. You know, angels had released the apostles from prison before, even James. Why God chose not to rescue James the second time, but did rescue Peter, we're not told. But Peter was out on the street, and he was amazed, as would be the rest of the believers, verses 12 through 17. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, Uh, It's his angel. Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. When Peter realized that He was uh, out in the street. He decided he better get somewhere, and he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where some Christians were gathered in prayer, most likely the same place where Jesus had conducted the Last Supper some ten years earlier. When he got there, he knocked on the door of the outer gate, and a servant girl, Rhoda, answered the door. Apparently, she was afraid that it might be the authorities who had heard about the prayer meeting and come to arrest them. So she kept the door closed and said, who's there? When Peter said, it's me, Peter, she recognized his voice. But in the excitement of the moment, she forgot to open the door and ran to tell others about him. So how did the group that was praying for Peter respond to the news? Did they say, hallelujah? We knew it was going to happen? No, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. In fact, they thought she was crazy when she said Peter was at the door. They said she was out of her mind. When she insisted it was true, they still didn't believe her. They said, well, it just sounded like Peter. It it must have been his angel. Now, where they got that idea, I have no idea. The Jews had some strange ideas about angels that weren't found in Scripture. But whatever the case, Peter was there, and he was still out on the street knocking at the door. When they finally went to the door and opened it, it was Peter. And they were amazed. They were amazed. Even believers were amazed at God's power to set someone free. Apparently, they got so excited that Peter was afraid they'd wake the neighbors and 
perhaps alert the police, so he hushed them and proceeded to tell them what had happened. When he finished, he told them to report everything to James. Now, this is James, the brother of Jesus, and the brethren who weren't there, and Peter left. Where he went, we don't know. He pretty much dropped out of sight and out of the book of Acts at that point. We only read of him one more time in the 15th chapter when he defends Paul and Barnabas before the church, the church council that was meeting in Jerusalem about taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Tradition, however, tells us a lot about Peter and his ministry and of his death, his death by crucifixion, a very unusual crucifixion because he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die as did his Lord. But for now, Peter is out, freed by the power of God, and still had work to do. And the believers were amazed, and the unbelievers, they were disturbed. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, Oh, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Well, when daylight came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers. They had no idea what had happened to Peter. The two who had been chained to him still had chains around their wrists, and the guards had seen nothing, but Peter was gone. Herod was furious, so he ordered the guards to be executed in Peter's place and left town. When he got to Caesarea, he was still in a bad mood, and he picked a fight with the people of Tyre and Sidon, two port cities to the north of Judea. He was at the point of going to war until his brother convinced him to give them an audience, and on the appointed day, he arrived at sunrise, according to the historian Josephus, wearing a robe of spun silver that glistened in unbelievable splendor. As he spoke, the people kept crying, the voice of a God and not a man. You see, they knew how to get what they wanted out of a politician. And Herod loved it. Herod loved it. It got his mind off what had happened in Jerusalem, how he had looked so powerless losing Peter after promising to deliver him to the Jews. And he certainly did not want to consider the fact that a power greater than himself had been at work in Jerusalem, but he too was about to be visited by an angel. In the middle of his speech, an angel struck him. The same word 
for what the angel had done to wake up Peter. But this strike was fatal. Josephus says that Herod was struck with a terrible stomach pain and collapsed in his box at the theater. He was carried out a dying man and did in fact die five days later in 44 A.D., infested with abdominable, abdominable <laughs> parasites. Luke tells us he died because he refused to give glory to God. He ignored what God was doing in Peter's life, and he liked to think of himself as a god. You know, his story could have ended differently. If he had opened his eyes to what God was doing, even Herod could have been saved. Eusebius, often called the father of church history, has recorded an account related by Clement of Alexandria. He said the soldier who led James to the judgment seat was so impressed by his testimony that he accepted Christ before the court and was therefore condemned to die with James. On the way to the execution, the soldier begged James to forgive him, and James did so. He kissed him and said, Peace be with you. And both were then beheaded at the same time. They lost their lives, but both were saved for eternity. Indeed, God does not promise us peace in this life. In fact, Jesus had warned the apostles that they would be persecuted. But God wasn't blind to their plight. In fact, his angels were so active that believers were amazed and unbelievers disturbed. I have no reason to believe angels are not yet active today. We don't see them. We don't pray to angels. We entrust ourselves to a Heavenly Father who loves us, and He does what's in our best interests and in the best interests of the kingdom, whatever is needed to get His will done. And we trust Him that His will is good. And we're grateful. We're amazed sometimes at the way God works to give us little extra measures of grace. Sometimes unbelievers are just stunned when they hear what's been happening. We don't want to be presumptuous. We just walk by faith, not by sight. And we trust our Heavenly Father. He's active yet today. So how are you responding to God? How do you respond to the things that you see happening around you? Do they perplex you? Do they worry you? Are you frustrated and anxious about the future? Or do you see the hand of God at work? Even in ways you perhaps don't understand, but in ways that must be right because you know him. And you know he's in control. And you know his will will be done. How do you respond to the things that happen? If you had been a relative of, of James and heard he got beheaded and Peter got out, would you be mad? Would you be like a, a child and say, no fair? Some of us would. 
Some of us do. We need to trust. Trust that God knows what he's doing. And he loves us. He proved it on the cross. We've all been set free from the prison of sin and death by the promise of eternal life. May we always respond positively to a God who loves us. And if you have yet to express faith in the God who loves you, I pray that you're disturbed by things that happen. Disturbed enough not, not to be blinded, but disturbed enough to seek out a God who loves you and to then respond to him. To be led to that cross and to be led to sing glory to his name. If Herod would have given glory to God, he could have been saved. It's imperative that we give glory to our Heavenly Father and that we trust Him and give ourselves to Him. If you need to make public your commitment to His Lordship in your life and in this world, I invite you to come as we stand and sing, giving glory.